are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This week, instead of our usual episode sponsor, we are instead going to announce a giveaway. If you listened to our last episode, Jarrett with Bone Broadheads generously offered a free pack of broadheads to one lucky winner. Traditional Outdoors is going to step up and pay for a second pack of broadheads for a total of six bone broadheads to the winner who gets drawn. Now, if you're the winner, you choose either 125 or 200 grain in either the left or the right bevel. So as a thank you to Jarrett, this episode is sponsored by Bone Broadheads. I decided to try a pack of these heads over the summer, and I really like the design, as you probably picked up on during our conversation with Jarrett. So if you have not already done so, please take the time to head over to bonebroadheads.com and check them out for yourself. Now to enter, please leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and send us an email to podcast at traditionaloutdoors.com letting us know the ID your review is under. We will draw a winner on September 22nd, and the winner will be announced that day on Facebook and Instagram, and we'll also get a shout-out on the following week episode that will be released on September 30th. So head over and leave a rating and review, and we wish everyone the best of luck, and we would also like to give Bone Broadheads a huge thank you for their support of the show. Now let's get on to this week's episode. Hey, Nick, how's it going, man? It's going good. A lot of my time has been going into getting this, uh, getting this book done. And, and how is uh, that progressing? You know, it went, it progressed quickly. Um, from where I was, we were having some difficulties last time. And then I learned a lot in like a four day period. It was all done and I got it up there. So right now you can get it on Amazon. Um, it's nine ninety nine, and then they'll charge you shipping unless you have prime or you can get it direct from me and get a signed copy for fourteen ninety nine at bookshelf. Or just go to lifeandlongbows.com and you can see the the cover will be there, the icon, and you can click on that and it'll take you right to it. Um, I would I do appreciate it if you get it from me direct. Uh, that's better. Um, I don't nobody really makes a lot from Amazon or anything, um, and really you're not getting it cheaper in the long run. Uh, but it is up there, so you know either way, whatever's convenient. And I'm really excited about it. Um, really excited about the way it looks, the cover. I mean, I've already read it. My wife's read it. I mean, and she hadn't even she didn't know anything about it before she read it. Really, she just knew I was working on it, so she really likes it. Um, really proud of it. Um, I'm looking forward to it, getting people's hands and seeing what people think. And I'll be at some shows. I'm thinking about Compton and the Kazoo Expo and some other places. And uh, yeah, um, well, I, I know it all went a lot faster than you were thinking but hey you're you're officially published now i know and, and you know i learned a lot from it too I, it'll be a lot easier the next time i do this um i just it, it really was a process self-publishing is a process well that's uh, the that's the same way with everything when do you when do you think you'll actually have physical copies on hand oh i think I'm, by the time this episode drops I, oh, i'm really yeah i'm fixing to have them i'll probably have them tomorrow um, I got to tell you, Create Space is fantastic. If there's anybody out there that wants to do a book and doesn't know how to get started, Create Space through Amazon gives you everything you need. Um, just a fantastic platform and a company, and it's it's been great so far. Well, I know uh, I, I know I was one of the first ones to order one because I was actually working with you to to test the links and everything but uh I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a request that as soon as you get them in drop one in the mail to me because I would actually love to take it with me uh when I leave next week if that's even possible 
Yeah, Tom said the same thing. <laughs> did he? <laughs> he did. Awesome. And, and actually, bought, Tom bought the first one, the second one, the third one, the fourth one, the fifth one, the sixth one, the seventh, and the eighth. <laughs> but he said you could. But he said you could have number one. So <laughs> oh, that was that was mighty kind of him, and I wasn't necessarily asking for for number one for that reason. But uh, he he was funny, and I was like, "All right, you didn't." I, I mean, like, I know you're in it, and, you, and you're my friend. But you didn't have to buy eight. And he's like, "Well, I'm going to give it. I'm going to give one to. I'm, they're going to. There's going to be one on the shelf in Africa at the lodge, and all this other stuff." And I was like, "Oh man, that's that's awesome." But yeah, not necessary. But yeah, that was kind of cool. And um, then. Uh, he wants the Kindle version too, which is funny. The Kindle version is not out yet. Um, it will be out soon. That's actually more complicated than the print, which is weird. I didn't think that would be the case. Um, you have to like to make the chapters clickable and all that other stuff. You really have to like break everything out. It's a whole separate editing process. Um, so we're working on that right now, and the Kindle will be up fairly quickly, but. People mainly wanted the print versions in their hand anyway, so I'm happy to get that out. And honestly, it, it means so much more to have that in your hand. Like, I, it was awesome to get that in there. Uh, I haven't felt like that since my kids were born, so that that was uh, that was interesting. Um, that oh, was really I remember cool. I saw I saw you drop the video, and you could you could tell right away that you were you were really pumped about it. Yeah, I was. I actually had three or four friends make fun of me immediately after I dropped that video, so that was kind of interesting. But <laughs> anyway, hey, speaking of your hunting trip, what's going on with you, man? You got to be getting close. I know you're. I know you're really getting ready for the season and hanging a lot of stands, and and you've been working out like crazy. And I mean, you got to be getting pumped for your trip, right? I'm very pumped. Um, that's why I was saying drop the book in the mail because we. Uh, I'll leave uh, next Thursday, flying up to uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Um, Tom's actually going to drive down from, from his house in Michigan work. Uh, he's got to work in his, in his, his company's office in Minneapolis for two days and he'll pick me up at the airport somewhere around five thirty six o'clock that afternoon. And we're hoping to, uh, see the sunrise in, in Sheridan, Wyoming the next morning. So we're going to drive through the night and, uh, grab a, grab a bite of breakfast, finalize our licenses. We both have to buy archery tags when we get out there and we're going to pick up, uh, uh, fishing license uh, in the hopes that we both are successful uh, before the end of the week on on mule deer and and get some fly fishing in so we'll uh we'll hike in uh to the area we're hunting in the big horns on friday morning and season opens saturday morning uh the first of september that's wild i'm so jealous of you guys especially now that i know you're fishing too because if i was going out to wyoming that's probably what i'd want to do <laughs> well we're we're, but, we're making all kinds of plans and you know it's i feel like it's a bit disjointed because i packed uh i sent 60 pounds of gear via us or ups up to tom yesterday uh tom's got to load all his gear up two days before we head out to the hunt because like i said he's got to work so I, you know one of us is going to forget something. I just don't know what it'll be. I hope it's not the fly rod. So I'm definitely going to be reminding him because Tom's bringing, we're only carrying one fly rod and he's bringing that. So you guys get to fight over it then, <laughs> you know, the, the last time. So we went, when we went out in 2016, uh, we left, uh, antelope camp, drove up into the big horns and we had actually, I think I'm trying to remember if Tom brought a fly rod that trip or not, but I think he actually brought one 
and we ended up just fishing with my three weight. We just, you know, one of us would catch a fish and we'd hand it to the other one and they, you know, he'd go catch it. But we just had a blast. We didn't, we didn't need to. I mean, the streams were kind of small and we were, uh, we were just in, we were enjoying the, the experience more than anything else anyway. So, uh, well, I hope you we, get, hope you get a little bit of film doing that. That'd be fun. Uh, I hope so. I'm actually carrying, uh, two POV action cameras, um, uh, an SD, uh, camcorder sd camera uh, video recorder and uh my buddy uh derek sheehan sent me his um uh, it's a it's a high-end sony uh point and shoot it's just shy of being a dslr camera in a you know real compact size and i've got my phone so i'm planning on taking a lot of photographs and and as much video and i always say i'm going to do that and i get to the end of the hunt and realize i've been so tunnel visioned on hunting i forget to do it but i'm committed not to do that this this trip so well if derek sheehan sent it to you i mean he's even nerdier than tom so he so you know it's good that you if you're getting that <laughs> you said that not me so uh, oh we, we derek's a derek's a friend of the show and a great guy and and I'm sure he was happy just to get something to you and be involved. So, uh, actually talked to him last week at GLLI. So, yeah, it's funny. We were, we were exchanging emails today, you and I, and I'm not going to mention the person's name because we were trading emails about a, a guest we're, we're hoping to get on the show in the future. And as soon as I saw it, he, he sent me a, a, a photograph and, was was looking at the uh, photograph with him and his buddy, and I was like, "Man, that looks just like Derek Sheehan. It could almost be his older brother." So, <laughs> <laughs> Derek would be wearing a kilt in the picture, though, because yes, he always he, wears, yes, he, he always, he yes, always he wears would. tactical kilts. <laughs> but anyway, uh, back to fly fishing. We've got a five fly fishing guest this week, don't we, Steve? <laughs> we do, and it's. Uh, I'm not going to say it's the last fly fishing episode we'll do in in 2018, but it's there's a there's a good probability so uh we definitely saved a, a good one for the last one but i know a lot of our our listeners attention is really turning to um to hunting and, and activities in the woods and especially up there where you're at things will start getting so cold people will forget about fishing until they can drill a hole in the ice somewhere but uh but yeah so uh we've got uh, you're actually on location with mr scott spray and for those that that probably don't remember this way back we actually met Scott um, when we gave had the the giveaway of the fiberglass fly rod from episode seven that Cameron Mortensen uh, from the Fiberglass Manifesto donated for us to do a giveaway and and since that time we've we've kind of gotten to be pretty good friends with him on on social media and you actually live close enough to him that that you can actually go and see him shake his hand do some fishing with him I'm gonna do that one of these days but I can't do it right now. Um, and I ended up buying a, a gorgeous uh, two weight from him, and and now you've got a, a a rod being built that Scott's building you as well, right? Yep, and uh, an eight weight, so I can do a little steelhead fishing and and get after some bigger fish, too. So Good. yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to it, and uh, and uh, he's getting closer. Um, everything's ordered, and just uh, yeah, you just got to find some time to do it now. Right, Scott. Right. Uh, actually, uh, last couple of days, I got the handle, handles uh, mounted and reel seats mounted, and first couple of wraps are on it. And uh, you know, it's always one of those things that I start out and uh, have you know have it in my head how it's going to go, and I put the few wraps on it, and, and it never fails. I end up uh, stripping them off. You know, they end up coming off, and I, and I I start over and scrap it. Um, you know, I don't I don't like to rush. Obviously, Steve, you know, I don't like to rush. Um, 
you know, luckily you were patient with me with your two weight and uh, afforded me the opportunity to kind of peck away at it as I had time. Um, you know, I'm going to I'm going to get Nick's done a little quicker. Hopefully steelhead season's coming up pretty darn quick. Uh, we got a few weeks and I don't see a problem having it in his hand in you know, two or three weeks. Um, like I said, once I, once I get where I need to go with the the wraps, it's going to go quick. Well, I didn't, I didn't mind waiting at all. I think I kept telling you that, that, you know, I'd I'd much rather you, you take your time and it was not a disappointment. That is an absolute gorgeous rod. And there's a lot of, of little rainbows, browns, and brookies that have no idea what's in store for them come come late winter, early spring. Yeah, now you're actually making me want a three-weight or a two-weight. <laughs> well, I, and I'll be honest, I've got to get out and play around with this one. I've never – so it's a six-foot. I know the other two-weight I got from you, I think, is a seven-and-a-half, uh, Scott. But this little six-foot's uh, – I don't even know how much casting I'm going to do with it, but – um it's it feels different in your hand than than anything i've i've been i'm used to just because of the length but yeah i'm excited about it you have no idea how tough that was to put in the mail um you know after i got it wrapped up and put it together and and i actually had it in my hand i I strung it up with a three-weight line and just kind of played with it in the house a little bit you can do that with a six-foot rod and man was it tough to put in the mail um but you know it was just one of those things that got to do so i can't keep all of them i've got enough already i think i've got maybe you know 10 rods that i've built and it just gets to the point where uh nicole starts telling me you know when are you going to sell some of these so uh she lets me keep about anything i want so i'm lucky that way well that's what i've been trying to tell jess my wife that you know it's like golf clubs i can't just have a driver and i can't just have a putter i gotta have all of them (laughs) in a place to hold them (laughs) and she's like you're like totally obsessed with this now aren't you i'm like yeah pretty much that's what i do though (laughs) well scott you just got to do me one favor you got to promise me that you're not going to make nick's prettier than the one you sent me because i i don't want to listen to that so well no because then you'll just order two more because that's usually what you do (laughs) and i I can't i can't do that right now either because wyoming's got me tapped (laughs) yeah and and i should be able to get into a little bit of carp with this rod shouldn't i oh yeah definitely yeah Um, you know, Nick and I were talking a little bit before we, we started recording and, uh, he, uh, he got a hold, got to hold the eight weight, which is pretty much the sister, uh, sister to his rod that I'm building him. Um, almost exactly the same thing. This one is kind of like a deep maroon color. Um, his is almost like a, I would call it a Winston green or a deep emerald green. Um, you know, it's, I've been trying to take pictures and send them to him and, and it just, does not photograph it looks awful in pictures but in person you get out in the sunlight and it's it's almost like a lightsaber i mean that thing is beautiful Mm -hmm. um you know we're going to do black rods with a little bit of gold accents um gold lettering on it uh probably some silver guides is the direction we're going with it so it's i'm i am i'm sad to say steve but it might be prettier than yours so you might be ordering another rod (laughs) i'm i'm in full denial can't can't happen yeah but, I'm, I, uh, but i'm sure it'll be i'm sure it'll be absolutely beautiful now and scott you uh so i know and we'll we'll talk about the the other little uh venture you have going um at some point in this because i definitely want to touch on that but the the fly rod building is that something you really just do by word of mouth or or how do you how do you get new customers for that 
So I have, I have really, yeah, it's, it's all by word of mouth. Um, you know, mostly it's, it happens, uh, pretty organically kind of like, yeah, you know, between you and Nick and, you know, somebody sees one that I've put together and, and comes to me that way. You know, when you were on with, um, Cameron, you know, he kind of put it in a, in a perspective and there's a little bit of difference between the rod that you got and the rod that Nick got, um, you know, the rod that you got is, is more of a rod builder's rod. You know, I assembled the handle, I, you know, sand the handle down, I put it together piece by piece by piece. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't roll the blank out and build the blank by hand. It's just, that's, you know, that's labor intensive and too much stuff. But, you know, Nick's is more of a, uh, rod putter together, or I think is the word that uh, Cameron used, you <laughs> know, exactly what he used. Yeah. And, and I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not ashamed to say that, you know, cause not everyone can do it. Trust me. I'm on Instagram and I watch some of the, of the product that's put out there. And when you zoom those pictures, you can see some, some pretty shoddy, um, craftsmanship and, you know, so there are some good rod putter togethers and there are some bad rod putter togethers. And, um, you know, I, I am, you know, I, I hope at least it shows in my work that what I sent to you is, you know, I, I take pride in what I do. I've got a, you know, extensive construction background and, you know, that's very meticulous, almost to the point where it's, it's a failing, uh, positive, I guess is what I would say. I hear you. And I, you know, it's, uh, I will tell you this. Um, I'm, I'm, I've never even attempted to, to build a rod. Um, I don't necessarily even know what all goes into building a rod or, or put her together or a rod, but I will tell you that both of the ones that you, uh, fashioned that I now have are, are flawless. I, I, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty meticulous when I look over something to see, you know, if I can find a flaw in it and there's not a flaw in either one of them. And that, that the longer of the two, I mean, I caught some really nice trout on that rod out of the uh, Chattahoochee river. I mean, I'm fishing in a, a, a big tailwater stream with that two weight. So you hook into a, a 11, 12 inch rainbow. I mean, it's a lot of fun. I, I just had a blast with that rod. I can't wait to get back on the water with it. And, and that's how I you know, that's how I've built up some of my library of my, of my rods is, you know, I'll build one and I'm like, oh, I'm going to post this on such and such. And it goes sideways and something happens, you know, the epoxy bleeds through the threads or, um, it doesn't fully soak in the threads and you get what you call shimmers in the thread when you're trying to make them, uh, translucent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just, it's these little micro bubbles that, and, and Nick's kind of looking at me like, really? Well, in that rod that I showed him, they're in there. You don't see them until you hit the sunlight. And that's why I own that rod. I wouldn't put a pro, you know, I don't put that type of thing out. I'd rather build 50 of them and sell one than put out 49 crap rods, I guess is the easiest way to put it. Well, I will, um, I will get with you after we finish the recording night and, and we can discuss, you know, if, if people want to reach out to you, how the best way would be to do that. We can, we can definitely include it in the show notes because I'm, I'm pretty sure you probably don't want to be overwhelmed with orders, but, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people that would that would love to have a rod as as nice as the ones that I have, but uh, I tell you what, we 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 don't want to spend. Me and Nick will sit here and talk about this all night, and I know we we really wanted to kind of divert even away um, from from trout fly fishing because the 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 guests that we've had around fly fishing that's really what we've been focused on, and I've I've done a little bit of fishing for species other than trout, but I will say. 
98% of the fly fishing I've done has, has been around uh, different species of trout. So I know you are actually into a lot of other species, and that's really really what we wanted to talk about scott so let's let's just kind of jump in and you know what gets you excited uh, uh species of fish do you you get excited about fishing for uh that's outside of the you know the uh what's the word i'm looking for the 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 stereo stereotypical fly fisherman you know i'm i'm not much of a and i think nick and i had talked about this also i'm not much of a stereotypical fly fisherman you know i mean you see uh, the people that are out there, and they're either the Filson hat wearing, stogie smoking, you know, trout uh, snobs. You know, and I hate to say that because I don't view them that way. I, I'm I'm very much if you can put a bend in a rod, I don't care how you put a bend in that rod. You know, if you're outside, you're enjoying yourself, you're enjoying the the outdoors, you're showing your kids what to do and how to do it. Man, I'm all about it. Um, but I'm somewhere in the middle between that that person that I described and the, you know, the younger flat brimmed, um, you know, uh, extreme fishermen, if you want to say, you know, I'm, I'm 43 years old. I'm kind of middle of the road. Uh, what gets me going is, and it's, it has for quite a few years, I've been fishing carp for about 15 years. And when I see that gold flash in the water and I see that carp is head down in the silt and he's stirring up mud and his tail is just, you know, doing this slow fanning motion as he moves forward. There's not much more that gets my heart going than that. You know, that, that is more than a, a rising trout than, uh, you know, any, anything that I can, can describe. It's a, it's, it gets my adrenaline going. And that's funny because I never really thought carp, like when I was a kid, we caught carp on accident. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we'd be in the river spin casting and we'd be catfishing or for pike or whatever. And we would catch carp and it would be, it would, the fight would be great and it would be fun. Worms on hooks, bobbers, you know, everything like that. And when I first heard that of people fly fishing carp, I was like, well, that's got to be easy. That's got to be carp or dumb. They're on the bottom of the thing. They eat whatever comes near them. They're like vacuums that that can't be that hard, you know, and they're just bricks. They don't fight. And then I started watching videos and I heard you talk about it. And I was like, apparently I've missed out on this whole culture because when we were worm and hook fishing, it just wasn't hard to catch them. But it seems like it's a whole new world on for fly fishing right Right. like they're not dumb and they're hard to catch and they fight like hell (laughs) right you know a fish is a fish is a fish in my opinion there are some dumb fish out there but you know a carp is as smart as a trout and Mm -hmm. you know a trout is as smart as you give them credit for and if you know what the trout is eating and you know what pattern they're in and you know what you know uh, what they'll eat that day you can pretty much catch trout and it's the same with carp you know i've uh, i've found a fly that works pretty much everywhere. And then next thing you know, I bring it somewhere else and it doesn't work at all. And, um, you know, Traverse City is a prime example. That's such a, a broad ecosystem up there. You'll end up in rocks and you'll end up in a sandy, silty or, you know, something like that. And where crayfish will hammer them all day long along, you know, like Acme Point up in there. Crayfish is boom, boom, boom. You'll catch fish after fish. The next day you go up to Mission, Old Mission Peninsula, and you'll fish crayfish. You won't catch a single fish. So it really just depends on where you're at and and what they want. And it's the willingness to cut and tie, cut and tie, and figure out what they want. Carp are as picky and as smart as any trout I've ever caught. Um, and, you know, they're, I, I think the, the one thing that separates them, you know, I spent 
years and years and years shooting them with a bow and arrow, whacking them on the head and throwing them on the shore. And once I started fly fishing for them, my my outlook on them, my perception of them just completely changed. And, um, you know, I view them as a sport, sport fish. You know, one of the things I think that stops them is they, they fight every bit as hard as a steelhead. You know, I, when I, when you hook a carp, they fight like nobody's business. I've had five pound carp give me the what for on the end of a fly rod. They don't jump. And that's one of the things that keeps them, I think, out of the sport fish realm, you know, and, and they're a trash fish, you know, they can live in 90 degree water and flourish and, you know, be fine. They're not this finicky, you know, once water gets above 68, they really start to kind of slow down and die and they don't like that. Man, they can live anywhere. Um, you know, the major difference in what turned me on to carp was, um, you know, Nick, Nick's very lucky. He lives within a few minutes of trout streams, you know, a pretty short drive of trout streams. If I want to go catch trout, it's an hour drive for me at least. And I'm lucky compared to probably about 98% of the population in the United States. So people have to reach into what, what's available to them. And if you want to be a fly fisherman and you want to do it on the regular and you want to catch things that get your adrenaline pumping, warm water species are it for a huge percentage of the people out there. Well, in the summer too, if you want to protect a, a trout fishery, you don't want to be going out there when you get these warm, balmy summers up in the nineties and catch trout that they're planting and stuff in there, or the right. trout that live there. Cause you're just going to kill them after you fight them. So yep. there's, there's way more opportunity to fish warm water, water fish during that time of year. And you can also get away from some of the kayaks and the, and the stuff like that at the time too. So um, I did want to step back really quick, though, on the bow fishing part of it. Um, and I did bow fish a little bit, and I remember I used to watch bow fishing videos, and the Europeans would get on there, and they would just trash people who bow fished. How mm-hmm. could you do that? These are sports fish, blah, blah, blah. And over there, they have a completely different perspective of what a carp is. So it's funny that you mentioned that, because and how your perspective changed. And uh, I just think that's really, really interesting. I don't know if you want to comment on that, but yeah, it's like you, after you, when you, when you, they put up such a fight at the end of the fly rod and then you're just, if you shoot them with a bow and arrow, it just doesn't seem to give them the respect that you would have with a fly rod. Not that I'm against shooting them with a bow and arrow because a lot of our population shoot them with a bow and arrow and they use them for fertilizer and whatever. But yeah, it definitely changes your perspective. That's for sure. Well, and even since I picked up, you know, since I hooked my first carp on the fly, I went back to shooting them. You know, we did, Mm -hmm. uh, my brother and I did some shooting at, you know, we would do it at night, get some gar pike and you'd see a carp and, you know, it it doesn't completely stop that for me. You know, that's still Mm -hmm. a sport. It's still still part of it. But my respect level goes way up. You know, when I used to walk on the shoreline and see 10 dead carp laying there that nobody did anything with, you know, they didn't take them home and put them in the garden for fertilizer. Mm -hmm. They just catch them, whack them on the head and throw them on the bank. Um, it used to be, you know, oh, good. We got rid of 10 carp out of the water. And now it's, it, I look at it more like, oh, that really sucks. That's 10 less carp that I can catch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's, they're, they're plentiful, you know, they're everywhere. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a jaded perspective to, to put it that way that, you know, well, 10 less I can catch. Well, there's a hundred thousand more in that lake. Trust me. But that's when I knew my perspective changed. That's when I knew oh, I'm treating this as an actual sport fish. I'm treating this as something that, you know, that I want to protect and I want to be able to do. And I, it's just kind of weird how it happened. Hmm. So, so you don't, you don't do the bow fishing anymore? Uh, I haven't in probably five or six years. I haven't touched it. And, and that not, was, I'm sorry, go ahead. 
uh, not because it, not because of you know of a moral standpoint or anything. Like that. It's just the availability. I just haven't done it. Sure. And I have. So I will say I have actually never caught a a carp on a a rod of any kind. Uh, I like you. I I did some bow fishing for them many many years ago, um, and it was one of those things. It was it was a lot of fun for me at first. There was a um, a Clearwater River close to where I grew up that had carp in it, and they were actually some some big carp. And it was one of those things that it was real. It was a lot of fun and exciting when you first started because you had to learn to you know. Uh, uh, adjust for diffraction on the wa- the water and all that stuff to finally get to where you could consistently consistently hit them. But after you know a summer or two, it just I got bored with it. It wasn't anything that was a huge challenge anymore, and and didn't care anything about it. But I do remember that when you got one of those bigger carp, even with a you know when you shot them with a with a, with an arrow, they would drag your butt across that river if they could get open enough water. I mean, they I, I can't imagine putting one on a fly rod. There's been plenty that uh, that I've hooked that have put me into my backing where I've had to make the decision where it's time to to palm that reel and stop them or break it off. Um, you know, I there's there's gentlemen that go up to the Traverse City area, people, I, you know, men and women that go up to the Traverse City area, and, and they're catching consistently twenty to you know twenty plus pound carp. Um, that's a big fish, no matter what you you know, no matter what way you slice. Sure. It. Yeah, even if they're not doing anything, it's like dragging a cinder block through the water. Yeah, <laughs> the water. for sure. Um, so what's the difference between, like, trout fishing and going after carp? You know, what the difference is in the fish and what they take for, like, the listeners who may not know what you have to do to carp fish? Uh, so, you know, it's carp are meat eaters. Um, you know, that's a pretty common misperception. A, a big thing that I get from people when they first, I had, so I had a couple of minutes today on the way back from uh, Niles, which is on the south side of Michigan, almost to South Bend, Indiana. And I stopped at a river and a guy stopped and talked to me and he's like, what are you fishing? I said, well, I'm fishing for carp. And he looked at me like I was insane. And well, what do you use? Well, I use pretty much anything that I would use to catch anything else. You know, they're meat eaters. They eat crayfish, they eat minnows, they eat, uh, you know, fruits and berries and, you know, mulberries in the fall are huge. When the mulberries start dropping off the trees, uh, you know, you can find a mulberry bush hanging over the water and you've got basically a mcdonald's for carp you know Hmm. so they you know my bait doesn't change a ton i move away from uh minnow imitations and streamers a little bit i get into some more uh nymphs um crawdad imitations they like a lot of earthy colors um you know it's not i don't do a lot of whites with them but they're you know like a lot of flock uh fox fur and um nymphs rubber legs you know they like things that hit the bottom make a little bit of a puff but not too heavy you know you don't want it to be so weighted that it hits the bottom hard i've had a few turned off by that um but their diet is is pretty pretty broad you know it's it's seeds and bugs and fish and crawdads and you know they pretty much eat anything that sets in front of them so and i wonder where the i wonder where that misconception comes from because and i'll be honest i've never i've never taken the time to research carp and what they eat so i just i've made assumptions and i've probably had somebody tell me at some point and just forgot who but i thought they i thought they only ate vegetation yeah nope there are now there there's grass carp which is a different style of carp it's a long skinny almost looks like a uh um 
torpedo is, I guess, the word I'm looking for. They're a long, skinny, and the that's that they're more a uh, grass. You know, they're more of a seed pod type thing. You know, they they don't do a lot of, you know, nymph eating. I know they do some, but um, you know, most of what I have here is you know what most of what everyone has is just the common carp, the carp with the bump on the back, and you know, but they eat everything. So how are you figuring out what to throw? Like I know some people dip like when you're trout fishing, you can you, know, you dip your head hat in the foam or the film and and you know kind of figure it out and pick up some rocks, figure out what they're eating. I mean, do you just get to a carpy area and kind of observe what's there, or, or like how does that work? Yeah, it's it's a lot the same. You know, you're you're looking at the surface. The I mean the uh, you know what what's on the top, what's on the bottom, what's in between. Um, you know, if there, if there's a lot of rocks, larger rocks in the bottom, I'm going to throw a crawdad every time, you know, I'm going to pick up some type of a crawdad between an inch and three inches long. And, you know, depending on what's sitting in there and obviously eh, it's kind of weird to say, but, um, you know, depending on what they're feeding on at that time, they're a lot like trout. Um, so, you know, I've had extreme success on a sandy bottom with a helgramite or with a, uh, uh, hex nymph so you do you know the hexagena limbata nymph and it's a big huge fat mayfly nymph and i have caught you know 10 carp in two hours by fishing this nymph but it's all you know i i fished a crawdad for the you know to those same fish for 45 minutes because that's what i had success on the time before or at the last spot and nothing they just aren't interested clip off the the crawdad tying on the hex nymph and gangbusters um, so it really is, and I think it's the same anywhere or any fish, you know, if you're fishing with a, a fly, two fish you see for more than a few minutes and you're not getting bit, you should be cutting it off. And it's, it really just, it, it gets a, you know, you need a broad spectrum of flies. Um, you need to do your research on what they eat in the area, what's available for bugs and get close is the biggest thing. You don't need an exact match. Um, you know, you don't need to tie it with real legs and real, you know, uh, you know, shells and real pieces. No, just get close is the key. Gotcha. So if if someone wanted to uh, give fly fishing for, for carp a, a try, Scott, I guess, you know, walk us through um, maybe what the, what the minimums are and then maybe what you would recommend. Um, so I started fishing them on a six weight, um, and I, I caught plenty of carp on a six weight. Um, most of your local waters, uh, anybody that's familiar with the Grand Rapids area, I fished Lake Allegan a bunch. Um, you know, there, that's all the most 15 feet deep, but it's a huge body of water. You're going to be hard pressed to find a carp over 15 pounds in there. So everything that we do in that area, is pretty light. You know, I can fish a six weight pretty effectively, never even got really pulled into my backing that much. So that's sufficient for that area. You start going into Lake Michigan carp, and when you're dealing with 20 plus pound fish, and like I said, I've been in the at the point with my eight weight um, that you're you're breaking them off because you're going to get spooled. You know, it's the point where you either stop them or you lose you know $100 worth of fly line and and everything else. So, um, you know, it's a few it's a, it's it is a few basic flies. Um, I tie a fox fur clouser with some some rubber legs, and if you look, clousers are pretty popular pattern. So if you look up clouser, um, you can get a pretty pretty prime example of what it is. And I just tie it with fox uh, fox fur with some some rubber silly legs on it, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, that's 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 my go-to. I've had success in Florida. I've had success, you know, with that fly about anywhere I go. Um, other than that, I, I I tie some orange some orange marabou flies tied in the same fashion. Some green marabou flies tied in the same fashion, and then a couple of different styles of nymphs. Um, always have a crawdad or two. That fox fur fox fur clouser. It's tough to say today for some reason. It is, um, and the more you keep saying it, the tougher it'll be. It's getting worse, right? <laughs> um, that uh, that the fox clouser, uh, it, it really does kind of imitate a crawdad, um, but I actually I tie crawdad-looking flies, and they seem to do a little bit better. Um, uh, other than that, you don't need much special. You know, um, polarized glasses are huge. Don't don't skimp on the glasses because uh, you're going to be sight fishing these fish. What about um, what about uh, fly line floating level, weight forward, sinking? Doesn't matter. Yeah. So most of the time, the last couple of years, the the water levels have come up so much in Lake Michigan that the dynamic has changed a little bit. Um, when I went up to Traverse City this year, I actually brought a sinking line up la- uh, because last year that they were so deep, I couldn't get to them. Um, and I imagine if I would have changed my tactics, I was a little bit early last year. So the water was a little cool and we were chasing the fish into the deeper water. Um, they really start pushing into the shallows at about 60 degrees. And that's when the spawning fish, uh, you know, that's when the spawn starts happening is about 60 degrees. Um, and that's the magic or number you're looking for high fifties, low sixties. Um, last year I was really early and the water was in the, High 40s, low 50s. We had a couple of cruisers, but no takers. Um, this year, I was a little bit late, and the water was in the high 60s, mid 60s. So um, last year, I fished a sinking line for the first time. Or this year, I fished a sinking line for the first time. Uh, last year, I wished I had it. Um, but you know what? You can you can start off really basic. Uh, a weight forward line, um, a 9-foot, 8-pound-ish uh, tapered leader, uh, you know, you don't need to, to splurge on the fluorocarbon. Uh, I, you know, if you're if you're looking for that sink rate, little extra sink rate, great. But they they're not leader shy generally, so you shouldn't you know you shouldn't be scaring fish off. Um, most of what I do is an eight or ten pound um, uh, leader. It, it's really it's really really basic and really inexpensive to get into. So, do you ever toss a? Uh... You said they eat pretty, like they'll eat berries and everything like that too. Have you ever tossed like hoppers or terrestrials at them or anything like that? So when we started this, uh, you know, I, I've been, like I said, I've been doing this for about 15 years and we, we kind of got bored doing the, the lake thing. So we, we went into town where they have, uh, if you ever been to a, like a reservoir where they have, uh, the candy machines with dog food in it. Yeah. Okay, so yep. we tied um, some dog food flies, and um, we would wait for the people to throw the dog food out, and then we would happen to fish that area. Um, and it got to be the competition between a buddy and myself of how ugly the fly you could tie and have them take it. So we tied flies that looked like cigarette butts. We've tied flies that looked like <laughs> oh, dog food. Um, we, you know, we would just stack hair up on them and it, it was more, you know, it was more of a fun, okay, let's, let's see who can get the ugliest fly taken today. But, um, you know, we, I like today when I stepped up out of that, onto that, when I had a little bit of a break and I stepped out, I tied on a mulberry fly because it didn't sink. It would sit in the surface film. You know, I, I figured that that's where they would be at. 
Um, so yeah, that's funny because I was looking at my okay. So Tom Jorgensen, uh, co-host of a large friend of the show, uh, hunting partner. He uh, basically he gave me a tackle box full of all his blind hide and stuff a week ago, and that's how I got started tying. He's like, use whatever's in here, you know, give it back to me when you get your own stuff. And there was some tin foil on the top of the, the top rack of the case of the tackle box. And I was like, what? And it was rattling. And I'm like, what's well, he got more hooks in here? And I'm like, I just kind of put it to the side. Every time I opened it up, there was, there was dog food in the case. And I'm going, what is that? You know, these pellets of dog food. And I opened up the thing and there was a whole thing of dog food in this little like, tin or like in this in, in basically in like some uh, saran wrap or whatever so i wondered what that was for i was like why would he have that in here i have no idea what he was doing with that but that's interesting that you would like so how, how would you tie a dog food fly like what what would you have to do to do that uh you know we tried a bunch of different things um, spawn bagging it kind of thing or yeah, like what we actually started wrapping deer hair is the most effective oh really? wrap deer hair on a hook pull it tight and trim it down to the size of a dog food um, but we tried foam. We tried all kinds of stuff. Like I say, oh, it was interesting. Yeah, it was just fun. You know, we were out gotcha. there to to have fun and and see who could do the most foolish, foolish thing. Well, sometimes it, I think that people like the cosmetic part of fly tying is mainly for us and not for the fish at all. Is oh, what it for seems sure. Like. <laughs> but anyway, Steve, it sounded like so, you want to say something, man. Well, I would know. I was just going to ask a question, and <laughs> it it it. It can come off sounding sarcastic, but obviously the the dog food pellets and and the the mulberry flies you don't have to impart a lot of action on those. But no. what about the like the clousers and so forth? I mean, it, do you treat those the same way for carp? Is it really just they you know they find it on their own and decide whether or not they want to eat it, or are you enticing them in any way other than just you know the visual uh, aspect of the fly itself? So it, it's very intentional. Um, you know, we're definitely enticing them. Uh, you know, I had a conversation with a gentleman earlier today that was watching me, um, and it was, he's like, well, why don't, why don't you cast out there and see what you catch? I'm like, well, it's not like that. You you wait till you see them, then you cast to them. Sure. And, you know, you, you're actually casting, you know, a, a few feet beyond and a few feet in front. You're kind of trying to predict where they're going to be. Um, and depending on, and this sounds weird, but, you know, you're looking at a few different styles of, modes that the fish is in um, depending on what they're in I'm gonna cast just beyond them uh, a few feet in front of them a few feet beyond them and then I'm gonna let that fly sink and hit the bottom and then I'm gonna do a few three or four inch strips where it's just real you know deliberate little quick little strips and what you're trying to do is have that fly sit on the bottom and create little puffs of dust as it as it kicks forward mm-hmm. um, oh, okay and it sees that action and Depending on the clarity of the water, I've had them come from six, eight, ten feet away, just bust over to it and hammer it like it's, you know, like they're a bass. Um, you know, it's almost like a bass take where it just boom. You're looking for that. A lot of the times you can't see the fly in the water. Um, you know, you're just looking for the fish. You you watch the gills flare out, and when the gills flare, you see that puff of 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 creamy colored mouth rubbery skin. You pull tight on the fly, and if there's tension, you lift the rod, and you know you're doing kind of a, a modified strip set at that point. Um, but you're definitely putting action on it. You definitely want them to see that thing move. You want to, you know, you want them to see it. Uh, you want them to attract attention. And even, you know, even with the dog food flies and the mulberry flies, 
Um, if I've got one a few feet or a few inches away and it's not paying attention to my fly, I'm going to pull it a couple inches because that little bit of movement, um, you know, I give them a lot of credit and say they're super smart, but that little bit of movement on that mulberry fly is going to pull some type of attention. So at least its eyes are looking at it, um, you know, and, and they'll come up and take that, you know, that, that a lot of the times will provoke a strike. Hmm. That's interesting. I never thought, for some reason, I never thought their eyesight was that great. I don't know, maybe I had them confused with other fish or something. But the puffs, yeah, that's, that's, is that something they, they see or they sense or feel or, or what? You know, I think it's just natural. Um, mm. You know, I think a, a fleeing bug, um, you know, I have had them where they'll be. So there's, you know, to kind of say what I was saying earlier, the modes of the fish. There's a mm-hmm. few different ways that you'll see carp. You'll see them sitting up in the surface where they're they're really close to the surface, just sitting there, and they're they're sunning. They're catching some sun. They're relaxing. They're just they're in the they're in the lazy boy at that point. They're not too interested in eating. They're not really interested in getting away from you. They're just hanging in the sun. You'll see carp that are cruising along the shore. So they're you know they're they're on a almost on a mission. It's like they're walking down a walking path, and you're not going to slow them down too much. The ones with their head down in the sand or down in the silt with their tail up, um, you can liken it to a redfish or a bonefish or anything. Um, those are the ones you want to go after. They're the easiest pickings. Um, I've caught carp doing everything where they've been cruising. I've caught them sunning. I've caught them, you know, uh, feeding on the surface or clooping, they call it. I've caught them, uh, feeding on the bottom over and over and over. But I've actually seen them come in where they'll create a dust cloud. And they'll, they'll be feeding on the bottom, they'll create a dust cloud, and they'll kick out of that dust cloud, and they'll swim a 360 around that dust cloud. And what they're looking for is stuff that they've kicked out of that dust cloud into that clear water. And I have caught carp over and over where they'll, I'll cast short of the dust cloud or beyond the dust cloud, and next thing you know, you see that carp will kick out of the dust cloud and come around on its own little mess that it's created. And they'll take that fly. And so what you're doing is you're, you're just simulating a fleeing insect, a fleeing crawdad, a, you know, an injured minnow, um, you know, whatever they would be, whatever would be flopping on the bottom. And you're trying to pull the attention where they're going to look at that. Now, if, if I get one that'll come out or even where that one, you know, moved eight, 10 feet, once he starts moving, I'm done moving that fly. I'm not going to move it again. I'm going to leave it set. Now, if he pulls up to it and hits the brakes and doesn't take, then I'll give it a little twitch. And that a lot of times will will provoke a strike at that point. Huh, that's interesting. I didn't know they did that. Um, wow. So now what is the biggest carp that you've ever caught then? Um, so I've caught them over 20 pounds. Um, I don't weigh them. I don't keep them. Um, I do the old fisherman's eye estimate. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been told I'm pretty accurate, but, uh, I used to carry a boga grip, um, you know, the, the, yep. the fish weighing thing. Mm-hmm. And after a few years of doing that and just realizing how much it tears them up, um, I just have no interest. You know, it's, um, I would love to, I'd love to get put into the, uh, you know, the 20 plus club in Michigan is a, is a master angler. If you catch 20 plus carp, um, I I've done it over and over and I just have no interest in either bonking one in the head and bringing it into, you know, a certified scale or, you know, I know you can put it, you can do the measurements and, you know, measure them out. But, um, 
I don't know. I just don't have the desire to, to, to do that. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Well, have you ever been spooled? I guess that's the question. No, you know, I, I, I'm always pretty sensitive. I, I don't love them that much where I need to land them, where if I'm into my backing a ways, I, a hundred, you know, fly lines aren't cheap. I know you figured that out, Nick. Yeah, right away. Right. A uh, hundred dollar fly line and, you know, $20 in backing and, and a day of fishing done at that point. No, I'll break them off. And I will say, all right, I'll tell all my buddies that was a 35 pounder and I'll live with it. <laughs> There you go. Well, I mean, and there, there is definitely a reason for the expensive fly lines too, because I have actually over the years tried some of the cheap quote. I won't say cheap, some of the economy fly lines, and there's definitely a difference. Oh, way different. Yeah, I don't buy cheap fly line anymore. Yeah, I hear you. Um, so, what other what other species do you like to go after other than carp? Then that are like, do you ever like pike fish? I know you like you said bass. Right. Was that one of the things you like to do? Yeah, I go after uh, smallmouth quite a bit. Um, you know, I love smallmouth fishing. Uh, I love pike fishing. Um, I had a, a stent where I spent a couple of years pretty obsessed with gar pike. Um, didn't have a ton of success uh, hooking them on a hook. Uh, you know, I did do some some nylon, uh, you know, get tangled in the teeth type thing. Um, but found that to be more of a nuisance than anything. Um you know, yeah, you got to let them go somehow. Right. And that, that's not that fun. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, my, my heart does, you know, my heart lies on carp, but my, my roots lie in trout. You know, I, I started in trout. Um, you know, everybody, when they pick up a fly rod for the first time is either bluegill or trout. And I started on trout. You know, I started tying my own flies. My first trout I caught was on a fly I tied. Um, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's a huge badge for me. You know, it's kind of, it's one of those things that, you know, I was, I was into tying flies quick enough and I tell you what, I've still got it. I've got it pinned on the wall at home. Um, and it is the ugliest, nastiest looking fly. It's, it's, <laughs> it's about a size eight with a, a mahogany body and a deer hair, uh, uh, wing case. And I tell you what, it is absolutely disgusting looking. I would, I would be embarrassed <laughs> to tie it on my line today but it caught me a huge rainbow trout on a dry. So oh, see, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Like the, the, uh, I knew this was going to happen too, because like when I first started in archery, like I was shooting arrows that people had made me. And the moment I shot my first deer with an arrow I made, like a wood arrow I made was like, you know, that was, that was it. And it's, I got all these flies that I've been accumulating and buying these flies like crazy. Jess has been giving me just hell because I keep having this stuff come in. She's like, yeah, you got a lot of flies there. And I, then I bought one box and I bought a bigger box <laughs> and I bought a bigger box. And she's like, so this is all kind of becoming a thing, isn't it? <laughs> and I'm like, I got a lot of flies. So then I got this fly tie, the fly tying kit and I started tying and now I've got like a separate box with my stuff in it. And I immediately... I want to fish my flies. Yeah. I don't care how I'm going to look. I, I, I got to catch something on these flies. So I've been like, you know, practicing like hare's ears and emergers and caddis flies and nymphs. And, and I'm just like, you know, I want to get some foam. I want to pick up some foam tomorrow and try to tie a hopper, you know, some things like that. Like they're just, it's fun. Like I'll sit in front of the TV and when we watch the TV and I'll just be tying the entire time for like all week I've been tying. I think I tied last weekend. I tied probably eight hours wow. where I was just like, I stayed up till the first, when I first started tying and I broke into the kit Tom gave me, I looked up at the clock and everybody had gone to bed. It was 2 a.m. I was still tired. Wow. 
And I was just like, I covered a lot of ground in that period of time, though. I started from not even being able to work around, work the bobbin to getting my first scud tied. And then after that, I moved to a caddis. And I love tying deer hair caddis. Like, that's my thing right now. Yeah, they're um, fun. Easy. And, and mine are really furry. And, like, you know, I'm trying to get better. But they're not nearly as clean. But, you know, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty proud of them. Like, I'm like, wow, I tied that. Like, I've, uh, I just finished, I started getting into 16s the other day because yep. that was really hard for me to do. Crazy. Like, I was trying to get them even just to get the caddis hair to stay on the hook without rotating yeah. has been a huge pain. And, but I'm learning, like, the differences between, like, you know, peak time peacock on and deer hair and cat. And, like, the difference between elk and deer, I had no idea it was oh, that yeah. different. I mean, I can't get elk to do anything. Deer hair I can tie. Elk's, like, been really difficult because it's so coarse. And it just does not, it's like straw almost when you tie it. Well, and, and I brought, uh, I brought some things to show Nick, uh, when we're done and, and, you know, even in the same deer, depending on where you get the hair from, where the hair's from, um, you know, just in looking at what you've tied on social media, um, you know, there's, you know, there's different parts of the deer hair that have more air in the hair, you know, and actually inside the hair. So when you tie it. Um, it ties weird and it'll kink and it will, you know, some of it won't hold its shape. So I brought some, some to be able to show you on that. And, oh, cool. Um, but there's different parts of the deer hair that you use that, that really make it kind of singular purpose. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, like the bucktail, that's all streamer stuff. And even on a bucktail, depending on where you cut from is how much air is inside that, that hair, you know, that's that single piece of, of hair that will affect how it ties. So it's all just learning those different things, but it just takes time. Pretty soon. So I, I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to to tell you this, uh, Scott. But the first the first flies that I tied, um, and and you know I I grew up, I grew up on a on a tobacco farm. Um, but the first I went out and bought a just a horrible fly outfit. I don't even know how I managed to catch fish with it. Nick, we talked about this on, on the show before, but it was bad. The first ties that I actually uh, tied myself was using a, um, a bench vise, not a fly tying vise, a, a, a industrial shop vise with a pair of needle nose pliers clamped in the jaws of the vise to put pressure on the hook with the hook in the jaws of the pliers and was actually using whatever I could rummage up. I stole sewing thread from my mother. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> um, uh, picking up feathers just from around the farm, and you know we had chickens and so forth, feathers from around the farm, and nail polish. And managed to catch fish with them. How I don't know, but and I didn't even know what I was doing. I was just sticking stuff on there and, and turning up something that I thought looked something like a bug. So um, it was actually many years before I had a, an official fly tying vice and, and tying flies that way. Oh, you know, I heard from a lot of the old timers, people, you know, relatives and people that I knew that, um, you know, well, why are you buying a vice? You could just do a pair of, you know, get a pair of vice grips and just clamp them to the, you know, set them on the table and clamp them in. Um, you know, it's, it is a different world now, you know, you can jump on Amazon and have a flying tie, you know, a fly tying kit for 30 bucks and have it at your door in two days. Yep. Um, you know, it's, and it is the same basic rudimentary. That's the way I started, you know, just with a, a $20 kit I got at the local, you know, not even a fly fishing shop, just some local tackle place. They had a kit that had some, you know, a pheasant tail, uh, a peacock 
you know, some peacock fe- uh, sections in it, um, some quills, um, you know, a little bit of deer hair. It was junk deer hair. Um, and now I'm at the point where, you know, I've got a desk full of fly tying stuff. And, um, you know, I, I always tried to justify it at the time that I was, oh, I'm doing it to save money. You know, these things are expensive and, and you're feeding yourself a line if you think you're doing that. Cause I probably have about $3,000 wrapped up into just the materials at least. I mean, I think I'm, I think I'm saying that a low number because I want to kind of save my pride a little bit, but. Oh, you know, and Tom's in there, Tom's at the whole bottom is filled with materials and he's got all this dubbing. He's got, he's got everything from Michael's bags full of craft feathers to hackles to deer tails to, you know, everything's in there. And I, I've just been like experimenting and like figuring out what goes where, what makes a good tail. Like I'll just punch up, well, I want to tie a hair's ear and I'll punch that up. Well, what do I need here? And he's got like all these different like tinsels and things like that in there. And I was like, you can really make a fly out of pretty much everything. Like I chased down my parents' dog the other day because he had she had all, <laughs> she was leaving this white fine dubbing looking fur all over the house, and I said that'll work. Do you know anybody that has a golden retriever? <laughs> no. Brush them out because their <laughs> under fur is amazing. Um, well, and I've got know, cat hair too. Oh, uh, it's perfect. Um, and I've got know, two fat white cats. And I'm perfect. <laughs> telling you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna time to them. time to give the cats a haircut. Well, and I made one of the I made a fly out of out of my dad's dog Daisy's hair, and he's like, "You just made a a, a, a damn fly out of my dog's hair." I was like, "Yeah," I'm like, "I don't feel." I'm a little bit ashamed. Yes. But <laughs> I, t- I tell you what, Nick, you're you're gonna be buying, uh, you know, those little mops with the nubbins on them. You're gonna be buying those. I've tied flies out of Ziploc bags. I've tied them uh, craft fur. I mean, there's you're you're going to be in the cleaning aisle at some point at the local grocery store, and you're gonna go, wait a minute, that will make an awesome That'll fly, tie. right? And you're gonna you just it it becomes almost. Uh, you become engrossed in it where everything you look at, I'm sure I could tie that into some type of fly somehow. Well, I don't, I kind of want to look into like deer hunting this year, you know, like I'm going to be looking at that hair. If I get a deer, (laughs) like I'm whatever I got to do, I don't know if I got a borax it or what, but you know that, yeah, it's a whole new use for that. Um, but it's been fun. I don't know. So on that, on that note, Scott, and I honestly have never even, I guess I never even thought to ask you this, but any any outdoor any outdoor activities, hobbies outside of outside of fishing, do you do you do a lot of hunting? I know you mentioned bow fishing, so you've obviously shot a bow before, but do you do you do much hunting these days? Um, you know, not these days, not as much as I used to. Um, you know, I was a pretty avid deer hunter up until quite a few years. It's been a while. Um, you know, I woke up one opening morning and I and I looked in a circle and saw five uh, five orange vests. Uh, from my stand and uh, got frustrated, took, you know, walked out of the stand. Uh, this is on private property. Walked out of the stand, put my gun in the safe, and I haven't taken it out since. Um, you know, it's just, it's lower Michigan is a different story for deer hunting. You have to be really, really almost be, you know, you have to have a real passion for it. Um, I took up uh, coyote hunting, and we made uh, probably 10, 12 years worth of trips out to Kansas to hunt coyotes. Uh, that was absolutely amazing. I loved it. First year we were there, we got run over by about every coyote we called. Uh, the most adrenaline-inducing thing. I mean, it was, it was amazing. And it's over the years just kind of 
it got popularized out there and, and the a dog is a dog no matter if they're wild or, or tame and, and they learn. So that was one of those things last few years we've been out. Just just kind of disappointing. Um, you know, I, I grew up shooting shotgun. Um, I've, I've shot tens of thousands of rounds through a shotgun. Um, I grew up in uh, uh, shooting muzzleloading shotgun. I've shot I don't know, countless rounds through a muzzleloading shotgun. Um, you know, I sp- spent many a night in a teepee. Um, at this point, really, uh, kind of fly fishing has my life, you know. Um, my girlfriend, Nicole, uh, loves to fish, loves to fly fish, but she will outfish me with a spinning rail about any day. Um, she, she whoops me on a daily basis when we go out. Um, I love that. I love fishing with her. And that, that really, you know, it's kind of it, with a deer, once you shoot it, it's done. Um, you know, with a, with a fish, I can catch it and put it back. And I am, I'm kind of a softy that way. You know, I, I, I just like the catch and release aspect. Um, you know, I enjoy being out on the water. Uh, I was in the Navy for four years and, and that kind of never left my blood, you know, so I, no matter what way I can get out in the water or swim either way, I love to be in the water, go swimming in the middle of fishing, you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, it really does just sit and fly fishing at this point. Well, I was going to ask you based on the, the, the photos I see on, on social media, it did look like you were constantly getting out fished, but I didn't know if that was just because you were behind the camera or not. So <laughs> it is, you know what? I hate to say, well, I love to say it. It is the absolute truth. She outfishes me all the time. Um, it, it got to the point where I actually tied a fly to look like the fall of the, uh, the, the worm that she uses because I was tired of being outfished. So, um, now I have no excuse other than she just outfishes me and she's cute too. So that's all that matters. Well, you've you've kind of uh, you've kind of turned your your passion for fishing into another hobby outside of the 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 fly rod building, which I I definitely want to touch on uh, a little bit, and I'm 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 going to share a, a photo of the one you sent me um, with the show notes of this this episode, but the you build some some really unique license plates for for outdoorsmen too uh, for the. I guess for the front of their vehicles or, or, uh, you know, just for show, but tell us a little bit about that. Cause I don't want to try to explain it because it's, it, I'll, I'll, I'll goof it up. Um, so I, it started out as I'm not a, I'm not a sticker guy on my truck. You know, I, it's the second most expensive thing you buy. So I don't put a lot of stickers on my truck. It's pretty bland. Um, but I wanted something to kind of show, you know, Hey, I'm a fly fisherman. Um, or I, you know, I, I fish for trout and I'm, I'm a Michigan resident. Um, so about four or five years ago, I started digging online, trying to find a cool trout license plate, you know, something that was a trout that I could put on the front of my truck in, in Michigan, we're not required to have a front plate. So I started digging and I just didn't find anything. Um, so I came up with an idea where I was going to cut a plate backer and then cut a trout out of a license plate and put this silhouette up on the, the license plate. And, um, that's what I did. And it was, you know, any, any place I parked to go fishing, a lot of people would say, where'd you get that plate? What'd you do with that plate? And what I would tell them, well, I just made it myself. Uh, I started to get encouraged to, to, well, you need to build them. You need to sell them. You need to get them out on the market. Um, and a couple of years later I had built, you know, probably 15 ish, somewhere around in there, friends, family, people that I met a couple for some fly shops here and there ended up opening a, an Etsy shop. 
Um, you know, I sell a lot off from the Etsy shop, but a lot of people get exposed to it from the Etsy shop. Um, but basically what it is is I can, I'll, I'll take any, any state plate and I'll cut pretty much any shape out of it. A couple of things I've been really limited on. I can't, antlers are really difficult. They, they tend to get deformed. Um, but I can do, I've done trout, ducks, uh, bass, carp, sailfish, bluegill, you know, tons of different things. I'm doing a golden retriever, a pair of golden retrievers right now. Um, do horses, you can do all kinds of stuff, but it's just kind of cool. It allows you to pull your state, which is really popular. Everybody's wearing the, you know, I heart the mitten stuff and they have, you know, uh, you know, representing the state of Michigan being in the shape of a mitten. Um, you know, there's a lot of state pride going on right now and, and it kind of plays into that a little bit. Well, I know the the one you sent me, and uh, I, I know I've told you once, but but thank you again. That was a, a a very cool surprise to show up at my door. But I know you you found a Georgia plate that had the uh, the eagle on it, and you even oriented the the trout that you put on mine so that the eye of the eagle became the eye of the trout. I mean, it it again just like the rods, the attention to detail is just amazing, and it looks it looks really cool. Thank you. Yeah, that was that was one of those undertakings that I when I saw it, I'm I gotta have that plate. So I bought it with you in mind, and I tell you, I I thought I'm just gonna lay this trout on there; it'll come out perfect. And after about an hour of messing with it, it's it's tough to see. You know, you have to paint the silhouette on the back side so you can cut it out, and to get that silhouette to to match up with the front side where the eye actually lines up where it's supposed to be was surprisingly difficult. I haven't done one like that before and i don't know that i'll do another one like that after this but well and i didn't know you did i didn't know you did the other animals like the ducks and so forth i've got a a, a good friend and a co-worker that is just crazy about duck hunting so i'm uh since you since you gifted me one i may i may just buy one from you and get you to make a a duck for him i'll give it to him for christmas or something because he'd get a, a big kick out of that and i won't ask you to find another uh, eagle plate and line up that eye but all right uh, that's it, a deal but but it does I, and i and i'll post a like i said i'll post a photo of it um because it's just and it and they're very heavy what's the what is the actual base made out of scott it's an aluminum it's a sheet of aluminum um it was some scratch and dent stuff i picked up locally so you know obviously i'm not i'm not making a ton of money on these things so i have to to kind of cut corners as we go um, I've got uh, a local welding shop right down the street and they laser cut them out for me, which is kind of cool. I used to cut them all by hand. Um, so I'm stepping up in the world a little bit. Um, but I got, got a hold of these big sheets of aluminum. Um, and I don't remember the measurement, uh, how, how thick it is, but it's pretty hefty. I mean, these things are going to last pretty long time. Yeah, I can't. I can't see anything damaging. Sorry, Nick. Oh, where are you finding the Michigan plates that aren't completely deteriorated and peeling from salt? Right. Because <laughs> I have uh, four in my garage. Right. Uh, <laughs> I try and steer away from the newer ones. Um, I try and go to the older ones that are painted because those new ones are. They have a laminated. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a vinyl sticker over top, and they they turn to junk pretty quick. It just it falls apart like yeah. one winter. Yeah, yeah, and I I do send a disclaimer with all my all my plates that look these are for show. You know, if you put them on your car, they're not going to last as long if you hang them on the wall. Tell you, I've had the trout on the front of my truck for over two years, and it looks just like it did the day that I put it on there. But really, I, I don't want somebody getting a hold of me six months down the road saying, "Oh, oh yeah, delaminated." So totally, I'd want to put it on my car too, though. Oh yeah, That's totally. Thing. I think I'd want a mayfly. 
That would be cool. I haven't done one of those. Yeah. Like just a big cool. hex mayfly. Yeah. That, that'd be awesome. That'd I'm going to have to talk cool. to you about that at some point. Because, yeah, I'm just saying, well, my wife told me that you're not putting stickers on our vehicles. Yeah. I got one sticker on there. It's an MLA sticker. And I insisted that that sticker went on there. In fact, I put it, the first one I bought ended up not being on there after a week. And I don't know what happened to that one. I have a feeling I know. I could probably do <laughs> yeah. she, But she always says, like, you know, we're not putting any of those family stickers on there or anything like that. We don't put, you know, and I'm, I'm she's just not into it. And, you know, I'm like, well, I'm not really a big sticker guy either, but I could do a license plate. That would be pretty cool. But I'll time, do it on the I'll do it on the on the windows if it's something I can get a, a, a razor blade to and take them off I will do that but I will say the, the the truck that I just got the only sticker on it and the only sticker I'm planning on putting on it is my uh, BHA life member sticker I did put that in the window um, and I I did get some door magnets but they they just lift off if i want to take those off and steve's old truck had about a million stickers on the back windshield he was like nascar but both <laughs> <of them. laughs> that's great which is what i always thought was funny about that whole deal but um yeah and you know to circle back to the rod building how'd you how'd you even i never we never really asked you we kind of just jumped into it how'd you get into building your own rods um it's a lot like tying flies um you know i just had a curiosity for it and i started doing some some digging online and bought some fairly inexpensive pieces to put together, um, put it together. And it's, you know, the first fish I hooked on my own rod was the same way. The first fish I hooked on my own fly, you know, it was like, this is mine. This is what I did this. And it's a very, it's a very primitive, very primal, you know, I think it comes from your roots that it's, I did this, I built this, this is mine. And I, you know, it did what the bigger name companies have done, you Mm -hmm. know, back uh, you know, when I first started fly fishing, I owned a construction company right before the big dive in 2008 or leading up to it. Um, I made, uh, friends with a, a local fly shop owner and the fly shop isn't open anymore. He had changed locations. And so I volunteered my services to, I'll build anything you want in the, in the fly shop. So I did all of his displays and his cork boards and built frames for his pictures. Well, I didn't get paid to do that. He gave me stuff. So mm-hmm. I walked out of there with Orvis zero gravity rods, with uh, Mach 5 reels, with, I mean, I ended up with three, four, five, five fly rods and clothes and reels and fly lines and whatever, you know, waders and boots, whatever I wanted. You know, I, I would work for the day and I would say, give me this, this, and this, and I would walk out with it. Since I started tying my own rods, those all, I mean, I, I have outfits that are, you know, thousands of dollars that I don't even touch anymore. I don't think I've touched my zero G rod in you know years. And it's not because what I'm building is necessarily a superior product. It's a personal opinion, but it's, I did it. It's mine. And it's really, it's just really cool to be able to do. And I found out I'm not bad at it. So it's kind of cool to, you know, to put something out and have somebody give you a pat on the back every once in a while. Well, I said it before, the, you know, the two that I've gotten from you are just absolutely gorgeous. But I will add the the attractive part of it to me, um, and I, I think I even said this when I had Cameron on the show, is, you know, I don't consider myself to be any kind of world-class fly caster. I can, I can splash water with the best of them out there. Um, but I will say that of the three custom rods that I have now – um, I can't tell any difference between them. You know, as long 
they're quality rods, so don't get me wrong. Even though they're they're custom rods, the the blanks are quality blanks. But I can't tell any major difference between that and a you know a three three hundred four hundred dollar Saint Croix Legend rod that I've got. I mean, there's I can't tell that much difference in them. But what you can see is like the the last rod I got to you. The rod is you know the blank was a, a sage green. We work together to find a, a a real seat that's and i scott you may remember the wood i don't remember the wood off the top of my head but i know the burl in it and the coloring in it was amazing because it actually has green in the wood that matches the rod blank yeah and it's it's uh it was a maple maple burl it's just a dyed it. yep it's a dyed maple um so it has a little bit of red in it and a little bit of green in it so with the the red trim bands we did on it and the green blank um you know it just i think it brought it together it looks pretty cool oh it's gorgeous and it's and you know the odds of somebody having one just like it are slim to none yeah <laughs> which is what was cool for me yeah definitely speaking of speaking of something cool i just was uh i visited my dad last week and i actually just showed this to scott before we started uh recording but back in uh my dad my dad was a steelhead fisherman uh, he's spin cast, uh, and he wants to get back into it actually. So he's kind of tickled that I got, I want to get into steelhead fishing. Um, but in 19, I, I, okay, so I'll back up cause I went into the garage and my dad had all of his rods there in PVC racks and he, they've always been there, you know, and I saw this one there, this, uh, this Fenwick that had this cool orange and yellow wrap and the guides were all neat and obviously this was not like a store-bought rod so i asked my dad about it i said dad what's that and it was all chewed up and he said that's that's a blank that a guy named ron spray made me in 19 set or 1979 and it's you know it's custom made and everything like that and it's a, it's a fenwick a fenwick uh carbon fiber blank and he didn't know the weight, he didn't know the length, he didn't know anything, but it had a fly reel seat on it. And he goes, yeah, it was a fly rod blank. And um, I didn't like where the reel was on it, so, you know, he cut into the foam and had a spin cast rod on it, a spin cast handle, but he cut the foam out so he could mount his reel up there higher and duct tape it. And he's caught a lot of fish on that. So I said, well, are you going to use that anymore? He goes, no, that's an old war horse. He goes, if you want to take it. He goes, it's got, you know, it's got the mojo. And I was like, okay. You know, and this thing's a this thing's a noodle. Well, I just brought it in and showed Scott. And I think we're gonna we're gonna cork it, redo that handle on it. That ought to be a really neat yeah. project. It's a I had my hands on it. It's a very cool rod. Um, you know, Nick sent me a picture of it. I think Saturday, or mm-hmm. you know, it showed me kind of this is what I'm looking at, and it was very cool to you know spray. I, I and with the the number of listeners you have, I bet you don't have another spray listening. It's you know, it's not like Smith or Miller or anything like right. that. Um, and to know that a, you know, a Ron spray from the state of Michigan that I have no idea who it is, um, we're obviously related somewhere along the line, but you know, not, not directly and not where I would know, but that, uh, you know, what uh, are the odds, right? Yeah. For, you know, 30 years apart, you know, um, you know, Steve's son, Nick is having a spray build him a rod and, mm-hmm. you know, a spray built his dad a rod back in 79. I thought it was pretty cool. Well, and that's up in Sheboygan too, so it's Michigan. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of yeah. a neat, neat connection. But yeah, that ought to be a really neat project. Uh, uh, Scott figures it's probably like a five weight, uh, but it's a noodle. I mean, this thing is just yeah. I can't even imagine. My dad said he caught a thirty-inch steelhead on it, and I'm just like, I don't know how <laughs> he did that. But 
Uh, that ought to be wild when it's done. I'll post pictures on the community page of it. But, yeah. So do you got anything Awesome. Else? You got anything else you yeah. want to add about the rod building? Um, you know, I, I, I enjoy doing it. Um, you know, when I talked to Steve before and I've talked to you, um, you know, I, I enjoy pecking away at them. Um, you know, I'm not going to get, I don't think I'm ever going to get rich doing it. Um, but it's a passion, you know, I really love doing it. And, um, you know, if I have a, if I have a rod sitting on the vice all the time, I don't mind doing that, you know, but I, I don't want it to, uh, I think I said, I think I used these words with Steve. I don't want it to get in the way of life too much, you know? Um, but yeah, I absolutely love it. Uh, it's a passion. If I could do it full time and make, you know, make the, make the money I'm doing, you know, sitting in this chair across from you, Nick, it would be, it'd be amazing. But well, Scott, if, if a listener wanted to, to reach out to you, uh, about a, a rod, how, what's, what's your, what's the preferred method for somebody to contact you? Um, it, you know, I've got a, I've got, I have an Etsy page, um, but I would prefer you just get a hold of me right straight through email. Um, you know, if people wanted to reach out to you, Steve, and ask for my phone number, uh, they can text me. I don't have a problem with that. You know, I'm, I, uh, I'm available to, uh, my company's drivers 24 seven. So, you know, having somebody have my number is not that big of a deal. Um, my, uh, my email, uh, it's, it's a tough one, but it's pretty easy. Uh, it's a little bit long, um, carpflyfisher at gmail.com. Um, and it is just what it sounds like carp as in carp flyfisher at gmail.com. Um, but they can reach out to me on there and, uh, we can, you know, we can get right down to thread colors, um, handle styles, reel seats. You know, you can, you can pretty much piece together your own custom rod. Okay. And I will, I will be sure to include that in the, um, in the show notes and I'll throw a link for your, uh, for your Etsy page as well. Um, I, Scott, I, Dick, you got anything else you wanted to touch on? No, this has been a great conversation and Scott, I can't wait to see this rod, man. I'm fired up for the, for the fall and steelhead and yeah, that's awesome. something. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. So a new, a whole new experience, whole new fish. I don't know what I'm going to do the first time I get into a, a steelhead. <laughs> You're going to be, be grinning from ear to ear. It's going to be a little bit different than the, than the, than the, you know, 10, 11 inch trout I'm catching right now. But yeah. It's, it's yeah. And fun. maybe, uh, maybe next year, I know we're, we're planning on heading back up to, uh, Compton's again next year. So if I can figure out a way to get up there a few days early or something, maybe we can, maybe we can get together and I can, I can tag along with you somewhere and, and try to, try to get a carp on the fly i've never i've never done it so it'd be a lot of fun well i you know I, i'm all set up for it steve so you know i i know when it was kind of short notice when you were coming up last time um and i shot over to you if you got a couple of free hours i'll meet you somewhere we'll try and put a bend in a rod um but you know i'm i'm totally serious with it i've got a a skiff set up with two casting platforms um you know it's a carp stalking machine um and i've got plenty of water where uh i can i can put somebody that if you can hit a you know, a hula hoop with a, with a fly from 30, 40 feet away, I can put you on fish. So, um, I've never, well, I'll knock on wood, but I've never, never really failed at putting someone on a carp or two. Um, these where I fish in Lake Allegan, they're, they're pretty much like shooting fish in a barrel. Um, you know, it's a, it's a shallow quick drop off to deep water, like to hang on that shallow ledge, uh, where they can quick do a fan of the tail and get into deep water. And, and, you know, we just cruise along the edge and sight fish to them and, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's some of the easiest carp fishing I've ever done. Maybe even I can do it then. 
<laughs> well, I will, I will sure take you up on it. I'm sorry, Nick. No, we'll be, we'll be, we talked about it. Maybe even getting some video here in the future. That'd be, a, that'd be a blast. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. and it, it doesn't. It, you know, people think of carp fishing when it's 90 degrees out. You know, I've caught them when the air temperatures in the low 30s and the water temperatures in the, you know, the low 40s. Um, and I've caught them as soon as spring rolls around and the ice is out. So you just oh. have to, you know, get a sunny day when the water temperature is a little bit warm towards the surface. And, um, you know, they're not just a three, you know, in Michigan, the three, three summer months that you get, you know, mediocre summer months. They're, they're not just that, that type of a beast. So this, this goes, you know, I've hooked carp into October, November, um, pretty handily. So. Awesome. Well, maybe we can make that happen next year and, and maybe we, all three of us can just get together at least one afternoon or something while, while I'm up there. We'll, we'll definitely make a, make an attempt at it anyway. That would be awesome. Well, Scott, I sure do appreciate it, man. Uh, I know we've, we've chatted back and forth a little bit about doing this for a while and, and really kind of glad you were our, you were our final 2018, most likely fly fishing guest. So we've really enjoyed having you on. Well, it was a pleasure. Uh, I greatly appreciate the, the discussion and letting me get my piece out. And, uh, I, it's, it's nice to have, uh, two more people that I can call my friends. And the feeling is mutual, sir. Indeed. Well, thank you, Scott. Thank you, Nick. For everyone else, uh, I would like to ask, if you will, to please, uh, if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the podcast. And um, we are doing a, a giveaway right now for uh, a two-pack of Bond Broadheads, your choice of 125 or 200 grain left or right bevel. Um, one pack of those is coming directly from bone broadheads and traditional outdoors is chipping in for the second pack so to be entered into that drawing leave us a rating and a five-star review on itunes or podbean to get entered into that and i would also ask that if you haven't already done so check out our youtube channel just do a search on youtube for traditional outdoors and subscribe there as well and until next time thanks so much everyone and we will catch up with you soon take care